0: From the ISC, I am Lara Pedley and welcome to the ISC podcast, where I speak with inspiring insurance leaders about networking, mentorship, and building a successful career in insurance. For today's episode, we have Susan Holiday, insurance and tech expert, investor, advisor, and board member. Susan is currently a senior advisor to the IFA, International Finance Corporation. Prior to that, Susan has held numerous roles at UBS, JP Morgan and Cedric Group, to name a few. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. So
0: I hear you're currently in LA at the InsureTech Conference. Is that correct? Oh, not LA, um,
1: Las Vegas. Uh, yes, sure. I think I'm the only person awake actually in Las Vegas, apart from a few glad- gamblers because it's seven o'clock in the morning. Oh, so, I'm so I'm attending InsureTech Connect Mm-hmm. And yesterday I was um, on a panel about Africa and today I'm a judge for a contest about resiliency.
0: Wow, sounds fantastic. Can you tell us a bit about um, your journey in insurance and what's led you to be uh, the insurance and tech expert you are today?
1: Um, yes, sure. So Like a lot of people, I think I kind of got into the industry almost by accident. Mm -hmm. Um, When I left university, um, actually, the job market was not that great, because I graduated in 1988. And as you know, um, 1987, there were quite a few, um, quite a few issues in the market. And um, so I decided to train to be an accountant um, Mm -hmm. as a way of getting a professional qualification. Um, I did an arts degree, so it was a way of getting into finance and also had more job security than some other things at the time. And when I arrived, I wanted to work in the city. When I arrived, I was placed in a group that focused pretty much entirely on insurance and especially Mm -hmm. the Lloyd's market. Mm -hmm. And so my first job was auditing Lloyd's syndicates um, and some other managing agents and members agents and loss adjusters and, and Lloyd's brokers and everything to with the Lloyd's market mm-hmm. and once i built up that expertise um, when i was l- looking for my next job i thought i might as well do something in the same in the same area so mm-hmm. it was really because i was originally assigned to that group and i you know i liked it that i my career started in insurance
0: mm-hmm. And, and what did the insurance market look like back then? It's very different from the insure tech industry that you're operating in today.
1: Um, yes, there certainly wasn't much technology um, insure or otherwise. We still had gigantic. <laughs> um, if you had a mobile phone at all, it was gigantic and looked like a brick um, and um, with an antenna and didn't work. It didn't work very well. Mm. Um, so Yes, things were um, very paper-based. Mm-hmm. And so um, in my audits, I remember you had these things called LPSO cards. Um, and we had to kind of look for them and do an audit trail. And it was literally a box of cards, like you might use maybe now for business cards. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember one famous time when I dropped the box, and they were all nicely filed in the proper order. I dropped the box all over the floor <laughs> <laughs> and had to pick them up. <laughs> and and we filed them, but luckily my friends um, my friends helped me out. So, um, very paper based, um, very traditional. I know there are still rules about what you can wear in the room at Lloyd's, but they were much more strict then. Um, mm-hmm. all the guys wore ties and suits. Um, in my first job, um, women were not allowed to wear trousers. And um, even when um, we were allowed to wear trousers, I actually didn't do it um, for quite a long time. because <laughs> I kind of had a psychological issue about it. And also the only trousers I owned were probably jeans, which wouldn't have been appropriate. Um, mm. There was certainly no dress down. Um, so I guess it was, um, I guess it was very different. And I'm sure that, you know, like um, young young people today would laugh their heads off when they heard the stories of what it was like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: it's changed a little bit
1: since then, hasn't it? no for sure but I think there's still it, it needs to change a lot more
0: <laughs> exactly well you're clearly you're clearly passionate about change or uh, receptive to change given given you're now working in insurtech which um, is a, a very what well, you need to be hugely adaptive to be to be able to work and advise in that
1: uh, area well I think the thing about insurtech is is moving quite quickly mm. so Nobody knows everything, um, for sure. Um, But you have to kind of work hard to keep up with what's going on. Mm. So I think the insurance industry is really unappreciated for a couple of reasons. Mm. Um, The first one is that kind of helping people to manage and mitigate risks is really important for them Mm. and also for society and the economy as a whole. Mm. And people tend to think of insurance as something that they don't necessarily really want to have but they have to by law for their car or, um, or their business. Um, mm. and I think that's, that's a shame. So I think that insure tech is helping to drive, um, a more, you know, a better relationship hopefully between the customers and, and insurance and some new, some new business models, some new ways of delivering risk mitigation, which is a bit different from the very product-based approach um, mm. that the industry has had for hundreds of years. Um, so I think, you know, that's, um, that's important.
0: Mm. And what type of conversations are you having? There, there are some people that are very receptive to InsurTech and the new technologies that are being used or uh, are being planned. And then there are others that are less receptive. Have you had any challenges advising clients in, in that area?
1: Um, a little bit. So it tends to be um, some companies that are sort of quite good on technology, but not that good because mm-hmm. they're. It's not a problem for them. They're not really motivated to change. Whereas mm-hmm. if they're if they're terrible, um, they're, they're maybe more open to change. And if they're really leaders, then obviously they're very passionate about it. One mm-hmm. thing I've also seen, particularly in some of the developing countries, is companies trying to do kind of new and exciting things without fixing the basics. So Mm -hmm. for example, we had one company that was talking about selling insurance on Facebook, which by the way, has so far never worked as far as I'm aware for anyone. Mm. Um, But they actually had some very basic IT issues about servers and backup and not using the cloud and that kind of thing. Mm. So I think, as mentioned before, insuretech is new. It's exciting. There's a lot of articles in the press, but it's important. You know, you have to have the basic infrastructure, and it's no good just having an app if your underlying, you know, IT is is really terrible.
0: Mm. And uh, what did you do personally to move into the insuretech space? Is there how did you upskill um, to be able to advise clients about all the changes that are going to be happening?
1: So when I worked for Swiss Re and I was the head of strategy, obviously the new technologies coming into the industry were a big issue for strategy. Mm. So I was able to start getting exposed to it in, um, in that position. Mm. And I did things like uh, going to visit what was then called the Barclays Accelerator. I think it's now called Rise, um, yep. for example, um, in London and some other kind of insured tech um, uh, hubs around the world and also some companies that were either investing in it, um, you know, in the early days or acting as kind of incubators. Mm. And then you get, you get interested in it. So um, that was really how it started. And then mm. once you get exposed to it, and you become relatively expert and then people, are, you know, people ask you and then you can start to kind of build more of a career around that.
0: Mm, absolutely. And you referenced, um your the different countries that you've worked in, what uh, what countries have you worked in through your role in insurance? Um, and with the IFC today,
1: oh gosh, um, lots of them. Mm. So, I'm based in Washington, DC, mm-hmm. but the IFC, um, which is the International Finance Corporation, it's the private sector arm of the World Bank. Um, we invest in emerging markets um, all over the world.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: um, so actually, since I've been here, um, most, I've obviously traveled quite a bit in Europe, because there are many insurance companies there. But as far as Developing countries um, are concerned. Um, Lots of places um, in Africa and Asia. Um, Mm -hmm. I've actually done less in Latin America in this role, but I did quite a lot of work in Latin America um, in my job at Swiss Re. So I have had the opportunity to see a lot of different Mm -hmm. insurance markets, which is great. And um, I think a lot of companies um, which only work in one country would do very well to look Mm. at what other countries are doing because it's Mm. very easy to believe that what is all around you is the status quo and it's never going to change and particularly in the U.S. because it's such a massive country and massive market it's very tempting for companies and not only companies but politicians everybody to only look at what's going on in the U.S. Mm. and I actually think that's a mistake because there are good solutions um, all over the place and countries can really learn from each other. And one of the things that World Bank does is to try to take what is best practice in one country and and see how can that be adopted or or potentially adapted to um, make sense in an emerging market. And I I do think that's very important.
0: Mm. And what are some of the different insurtech conversations that you're having in those
1: uh, new emerging markets? So I think it's, it depends a lot on the country. Mm. Some of the countries have quite an advanced kind of infrastructure. And so the conversation, whilst it has some local flavor for regulation, culture and so on, is quite similar to what you'd be seeing in, in the UK and Europe um, and the US and Canada. And for example, South Africa would be a country um, like that. Mm-hmm. um there are other countries where their technology is in some ways quite advanced and here i'm thinking about kenya which mm-hmm. as most people know has excellent um mobile banking uh, with M-Pesa, which is much better than what you can get in the us um and probably as as good as kind of the best you can get in um in europe uh, mm-hmm. right now but insurance there definitely um you know exists and is reasonably well known but the penetration is still is still quite low, mm. so it's that they have a good kind of environment for technology, um, but they need to develop insurance more and kind of show show the value to people. And then you have other countries, and um, for example, some in um, in West Africa, where the what we call enabling environment is quite tricky for insurance or or insure tech. So there you have a lot of transactions taking place in cash still a lot of um, paper-based kind of business uh, practices. And um, in some cases, you have laws, for example, requiring a physical signature, so rather than an e-signature. And obviously, if you're trying to really do a digital model, that's not very helpful. Mm -hmm. So um, there are things like that. So uh, the pace of change is different in... In, in different countries and sometimes it's it's surprising um you can have countries that are quite advanced for technology but where the insurance market is um still relatively old-fashioned um and maybe Singapore to some extent is one of those
0: mm. well it comes back to your point about uh the different countries talking to each other at bit at their different stages, if you will, um, because there's always learnings that can be transferred even if people are at different points in their journey.
1: Yes. And I think they are interested in that one idea, which has really taken off is the sandbox. And obviously the UK was one of the first countries, um, to really do that. Um, Singapore has also been, um, been very good. And, um, different countries are either setting up sandboxes, for example, India um, has, or they have legislation that allows companies and insure techs in a relatively simple structure to kind of experiment. So yesterday, on the panel, I was um, chairing uh, here at ITC Connect, um, somebody was talking about the cell captive structure in South Africa, which is a way that really kind of promotes innovation um, without everyone having to set up new insurance companies. But it's, it's pretty unique to South Africa, but it means that I think there's innovation there that can then be exported to other parts of Africa, but also um, to Europe and the US. And some of the companies who were on the panel yesterday, they actually have aspirations to um, to go to mature markets as well.
0: Mm. And are there any other, talking of uh, the conference that you're at, the, the InsurTech conference, are there any other conversations that stand out um, that you've been involved in over the course of the last two days um, that you can share?
1: Well, there was one very interesting presentation um, yesterday, which was basically saying that if we're successful, in some cases, we may almost remove the need for insurance. Now, this sounds a little bit funny, right? And the famous turkeys voting for Christmas. But what he was talking about, if I understood Correctly was um, more kind of prevention. So um, it could be um, you know you know on the, in the wellness space. So don't get ill and need an operation or need to go to the doctor because you're looking after your health. It could be at home, for example, with Internet of Things telling you if um, some of your equipment or something in your house is breaking, so you can get it fixed before there's a flood or um, you know something. Goes, goes badly wrong. Um, and you know there are even examples in the natural disaster space about you know, how can we use technology to encourage people to evacuate um, if, there are, if there are natural catastrophes and those kind of things. So it seems counterintuitive because you'd think the insurance industry would want more risks. And remember, we, we always have this debate about driverless cars. If they're safer, there'll be less premiums. Well, OK, but then there'll also be less claims. So I think mm-hmm. to a certain extent in some classes of business, um, that's that's actually true. And um, so insurers need to think um, about overall kind of risk mitigation, not really waiting until there's actually a loss event and just paying a claim. And I think that mentality will also to go back to the, an earlier thing we were discussing will make people kind of see the value of insurance more because it's kind of um, helping them out all the time instead of being something that maybe you claim off you know once every five or ten years when something breaks or you lose something or you have a car accident Mm.
0: and it's really living up to our reputation as an industry that supports society in all aspects of, of one's life
1: Absolutely, But, you know, as we were discussing earlier, I'm not sure that um, people and small businesses in particular really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And it's not entirely their fault um, because in some cases, um, you know, they need maybe some education, some more understanding, kind of more financial literacy. But in other cases, it's true that the industry has been very product driven and not necessarily offered people... You know solutions to their real everyday problems, and that's mm. one thing that I think tech is starting to change. Not not so much the technology; that's just an enabler, but the mm. but the mindset um, that you know it's not about individual products, being more customer focused, delivering services, um, you know, having um, interactions that are helpful and meaningful to the customer, not only when they have a claim, this type of thing. And a mm. lot of that thinking, um, m- most of it actually, in my view, is is coming from insuretech, tech, either from insure techs themselves, or from larger companies kind of adopting some of these things and partnering or, or developing their own solutions. So it's still... It's still work in progress, but that's I think one of the really positive things that I see
0: absolutely and exciting times and now I probably don't need to answer this, ask this question, given what we've just been talking about, but why move from from an insurance company to the i f c
1: Oh okay, so I guess I saw that as kind of um, the second phase in my career mm-hmm. um, so after um After some thinking, I'd been at Swiss Re for nine and a half years. Um, I had very exciting jobs. I was the head of investor relations, including during the financial crisis. Um, Then I briefly had a a CFO role for one of the divisions um, and then we we restructured. And then I was the head of strategy for the whole reinsurance business, um, which was very exciting um, working with the management team. But um, I felt like a, a change of scene, actually had a little bit of time off. And I was particularly keen to work in emerging markets more. I'd got very excited about emerging markets, doing the emerging market strategy work when I was at Swiss Re. Mm. And I was also interested um, in the kind of social purpose angle. And IFC as an investor has a double bottom line. So Mm. we are focused on financial returns because we recycle our investments to be able to do new ones, but um, we also are focused on the social impact. So when you propose um, an investment, you have to set out what the returns are going to be with the normal kind of financial modelling, but also, um, you know, what is this going to deliver in terms of, for example, getting more people access to insurance um, mm-hmm. or um, lowering costs and th- um, things like that and um, or providing cover that wasn't available before, for example, for natural disasters. And, and how you're going to measure that. So that was also an interesting angle for me.
0: So you took, a, a, I wouldn't say a risk, but um, introducing a second phase of your career takes takes guts. Um, is there anything that helped with that transition?
1: Huh. Well, maybe I'm taking another risk because I'm kind of about to embark on the third phase of my career. Oh, really, um, I hope Um which um, is to, um, to build a board portfolio. I've been very interested in, um, in boards and in corporate governance. I've been on some boards um, when I was at Swiss Re and, um, and at IFC. Um, so I hope that will be phase, phase three of my mm. career. Um, so I think it, um, for me, it was always kind of a journey. So, for example, I'd worked on emerging markets um, when I was at Swiss Re, as I mentioned. So it wasn't like I was doing something Completely different. Mm. And um, similarly, you know, I built up experience um, with um, working with the board at Swiss Re and also being on some subsidiary boards and so on. So I, uh, you know, it's not, as I say, like a complete, um, it's maybe a pivot in startup language. It's not like, you know, starting a completely Mm. new venture.
0: Mm. And um And so I'm really interested to get some more information about the Women in Insurance Initiative that you are running with the IFC. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Um, Yes, sure. So this is a very exciting um, program. And it all started before I was at IFC. Actually, um, in 2015, there was a big report that was published called She for Shield, prepared by IFC with AXA and Accenture. Mm-hmm. And this identified um, great potential um, for the insurance industry in serving women. Mm-hmm. So globally, by 2030, um, the authors estimated that this could be 1.7 trillion US dollars of premium. Um, and of that, um, about 600 million in emerging markets, the rest in mature markets. So this applies to all countries of the world. Mm-hmm. And then they did more of a deep dive into, um, into some of the countries and what women said their risks were and why they did or didn't buy insurance and why it did or didn't meet their needs and, and all the rest of it. And so after that, um, we started a program um, where we work um, really like consultants um, with some insurance companies, to have a strategy for how they're going to address the women's market in a way that's appropriate to that company. Um, So it's focused um, on women consumers and women-led SMEs. But depending on the company and the country and so on, it can be um, focusing on different lines of business. So it could be um, more on the health side, um, life, um, different different non-life classes. And um, this has been um, super successful. The first company um, that was in the pilot um, in the first two years, they actually grew their premiums um, from women by about 50 percent with a similar increase um, in the bottom line. And um, then, for example, we had another company in the Philippines who launched on International Women's Day this year um, with some exciting um, and innovative new products, mm. um, particularly in the health space. Um, so having a product that was able to, um, to cover maternity mm. um, and also um, an offering for small businesses. So as you know, um, very often um Corporate insurance only kicks in when you have maybe 100 employees, and certainly, you know, probably 20 is the absolute minimum. Um, and in this case, they were able to write a cover for companies that had just five um, employees. Oh, nice. Um, which meant and is uh, you know often run by women, and it meant that, for example, people were able to get access to like a group health policy, and that helps the company as well because if you're a small company and one person is ill, um, you know this can really mess up the mess up the business model. So, I actually see the SME space as one of the most interesting um for the insurance industry worldwide, and where you absolutely have to use technology because the old Products kind of don't really work and mm. the old ways of delivering them um, are too expensive. Mm. Um, so this is a great example of insure tech helping to kind of meet an unmet need. And so this is type of work um, that we've been doing, which is really interesting.
0: Mm. It's fascinating because it's it's a double win, right? You get the you get the premiums, but you also get to support organisations in a really proactive way when they're encountering these um these periods of time where they need support?
1: Yes, so it's important that for the companies it's really built into their strategy and kind of fits into what the overall company is doing. Um, one of the challenges with um, some um, of the work that's been done on women and and other diversity things has been that it's been seen as a kind of um, CSR, a corporate social responsibility um, uh, thing, and not really embedded in the business. And, Mm. um, you know, definitely companies should be socially responsible. But in my view, there's a really big business opportunity here. And this can um, be have profitable growth for insurance companies. And mm-hmm. that's what we're, we're helping them to achieve. And um, then we're also um, helping them monitor what happened. So how many women customers did they get? What were the premiums? What were the results? All this kind of thing, um, which obviously helps decision making. But it, it provides data um, to show that you know this is this is successful. And I hope that as we have more companies who are actually launching their initiatives and they can really show the results that you know this will encourage the industry um, to pay more attention to the women's market.
0: Mm. And here in London, uh, we launched something called Ensuring Women's Futures. And I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but um, it's, it's of a similar realm where it's identified six areas, six moments that matter in a woman's life where the insurance industry needs to uh, step up and provide more support. Um, It sounds very aligned with what you're doing. Where are you basing the Women in Insurance Initiative at the moment? Is it solely
1: in the US? So I'm familiar with that. Yeah, I'm familiar with that report. Um, Because we actually have um, a memorandum of understanding with the Chartered Insurance Institute, who produced the excellent "Insuring Women's Futures um, report. And um, Jane Portas, who was one of the authors, actually presented it at a conference um, that IFC had in um, in 2017. So um, as far as IFC's work is concerned, we only work in emerging markets. So the companies that we're working with on the women in insurance program are in emerging markets. Um, So, so far, um, we have um, companies um, in Nigeria, um, Cameroon, Ghana, um, Philippines, and some more um, other ones kind of coming online.
0: Mm.
1: But you're right that the, the, the... topics that were identified in ensuring women's futures. When you read it, of course, there are some things that are specific to UK law, tax, etc. But the the topics about women maybe working um, less years, um, having less pensions, Mm. issues around divorce, women living longer, all this kind of thing, that is the case in pretty much every country.
0: Well, exactly. And and you were talking about uh, the maternity cover just then. Um, and that's not a, a problem just solely located in emerging markets. Absolutely not. I think we can all benefit from reviewing the products that we're offering um, to to make them more current to today's lifestyle. Yes.
1: Yeah, so the maternity cover was um, interesting because the company in question, which is Insular Life in the Philippines, had tried to launch a product a few years ago that covered um, pregnancy. It covered having a baby, but it was not very successful um, in terms of how it was positioned, the pricing, and so on. And so they took a new approach um, to this cover, which is also available for small businesses. Where after a certain amount of time, um, if um, someone is, if a woman is having a baby, um, she can access a fixed amount of of cover, so this um, means that it benefits the mother, but it also is more manageable for the insurance company because mm. typically health insurance doesn't cover maternity e- even in the UK because, of course, the costs can really skyrocket depending on what's happening, and it's kind of difficult to 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 price that and to predict it. But I think this was a good a good solution because the insurer knows, um, if the woman has a baby, this is the amount she's going to get. And she knows that too. So you're not running into the risk that suddenly for a relatively small premium, you're on the hook for, um, you know, a massive, um, a massive amount of insurance.
0: Mm. And how linked have you found, uh, the tech with, um, the new products that you're looking at developing, uh, through the women insurance initiative? How linked is it within InsureTech?
1: Yes, so um, it it definitely is um, linked. It's not the only thing. Um, Mm. There are some more more basic, I don't know if that's the right word, but um, things that we do, for example, gender sensitivity training. And interestingly enough, the gender sensitivity training is um, not um, not only for um, for women; it's it's for men as well, mm. and um, it's typically focused on um, agents or sales staff, people in call centers, and all the rest of it. And it's interesting because it's shown, and we've been doing this in the banking area for for a long time, so we have a lot of experience. It's shown some interesting unconscious biases um for example some companies have a lot of women agents maybe even the majority are women but they weren't really selling to women because the women were assuming that only men were going to buy insurance even though they they themselves are women and, and, and probably have insurance and they're their insurance agents so some of it is things like that but there's definitely a tech um, a tech angle mm. um, so it could be um, you know new partnerships um whether it's um, kind of you know online um platforms or partnerships with companies that are kind of um, uh, where women are very often the customers there's also be partnerships with some Um, women uh, business women networks um, kind of entrepreneur networks and all the rest of it and there's a lot of um, providing services I think um, everybody but especially women really care about the kind of about the ancillary services that come um, with insurance and a lot of these can be um, can be done on on mobile phones. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about things like telemedicine, um, having access to um, kind of data and information to answer questions, um, help if you have a car crash, um, for example, um, you know, what to do. And even in one case, I know a company that will send somebody to wait with you if you're on your own and it's in the night and, you know, your, your car is not drivable. Um, so there are a lot of... Um, technology solutions that are making insurance more kind of worthwhile um, for for women so it is mm. an important part of it mm.
0: and and you referenced uh, the training aspect of the women in insurance initiative how adaptive do you have to be with that training given that uh, given all the cultures that are included all the different cultures that are included in in the emerging markets
1: So I think it's more of a challenge in some, um, in some countries than others. But um, because we have a lot of experience on the banking side, um, we've seen great success, for example, in Pakistan, um, with banks um, focusing more on women customers and, um, and opening more accounts um, for, for women. Um, and that's probably a culture that is kind of quite, uh, quite traditional So um, that one of the things that I think is important and different about the women in insurance program is it's research based. Mm. So at the beginning, the company um, goes out and talks with potential customers, but not about what insurance products you have, but just what their life is like. Um, what their pain points are, um, you know, what the kind of ch- what their challenges are, and what they think about when they hear insurance or they hear that company's name, um, or what do they think about? So um, then you kind of surface um, some of these issues and obviously, you know, in different countries, um, the kind of structure of society is different Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, for example, how many um, women are heading up households and and, and why Um, and, um, you know, caring for elderly relatives um, and and all that kind of thing. But generally, a a lot of it um, is the same is the same kind of things because they may manifest themselves in different ways, but a lot of people have the same, um, have the same issues, right? Um, You know, Mm. health, getting to work, um, potentially their business, um, having a problem in the case of a flood or something like that, all those kind of things, um, you know, you can find in Europe and and the U S just as much as you can in, in India or the Philippines or or somewhere else. Mm.
0: Well, it sounds absolutely fantastic, and I wish you all the best of luck with the Women in Insurance Initiative. And I'm looking forward to hearing back about um, all of the other emerging markets that you've infiltrated. I I just wanted to um, to go back to you for a second, uh, and when you when you look back at your career in insurance um, and now morphing into the insure tech space, is there a, a challenging time or a challenging moment that uh, stands out to you?
1: Well, definitely the most challenging part of my career was the financial crisis mm. because I had I was the head of investor relations at Swiss Re, so I had a job where I was one of the outward kind of faces to the world. I was the person whose phone number and email address were publicly known by everybody, along with my colleagues in investor relations. Um, to answer questions and so on. And this was a very traumatic period um, for financial services companies, but also for investors. And, um, you know, things were moving very rapidly. Um, The world was very volatile and all the rest of it. And it was a very difficult time um, Mm -hmm. for me and I'm sure for a lot of other people and ended up working very, very hard, um, very long days and all the rest of it. Having said that, It was an amazing um, experience um, to be involved with the kind of um, the whole, the capital injection that Swiss Re did and the turnaround and how quickly and successfully the company got back on its feet. Um, And it was a great opportunity to work very closely um, with the senior management every single day, which Mm -hmm. um, most people don't get. And um, I guess also afterwards, I maybe realized that I'm a more resilient person than I thought I was. Um, But that was definitely for me personally, um, the most difficult period, because I'm always very, um, very passionate about my jobs and very emotionally involved with my jobs. And, um, you know, when um, the world is kind of going crazy, and your company is having a bit of a difficult time, then, uh, you know, that that's, that's not easy. But looking back on it, it was one of the most interesting uh, things that, you know, I was ever involved with.
0: Mm, You learn a lot about yourself in times like that
1: for sure. And you also, you, you know, you, you make friends and, um, you know, we're all working on this together. So I, um, you know, I'm still in touch with a lot of my colleagues from, from those days. And, you know, I really, I'm really thankful that we all supported each other.
0: So my last question is going to be, what advice would you give to someone that wants to get involved in uh, insure tech or is thinking about a career in insurance?
1: So first of all, I think you cannot have a career in insurance now, especially if you're starting out, without knowing about technology. Um, and um, if I had my time over again, or if I was starting out now, I would probably, even though I'm an arts graduate, want to learn more about programming and, and some things um, like that. So I think even if you think you're going into a more traditional um, role in finance or law or um, something like that in the insurance industry, you definitely need to know um, what's going on with technology um, in, in insurance, but also in the, in the wider world. Um, And then the other thing which I always say to people is don't worry about what you're going to be doing in 20 years time or 10 years time, because we don't even know what the jobs are going to be then. And you don't know what you're going to like or not like, you know, do something that you want to do um, for two or three years. And don't don't worry too much about what's going to happen um, after that, because the world is changing quite quickly. And I'm sure for people starting out in their careers, as I say, there will be some jobs that are quite commonplace now will hardly exist. And there'll be all sorts of new things. And I'm particularly thinking um, in the data science and the artificial intelligence sphere, I think there's going to be a lot more jobs, um, whereas I would hazard that um, there will be less insurance agents, for example, um, probably less. There will still be insurance brokers, but probably with less people and, um, you know, more technology.
0: Mm. Well, I think that's great advice. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for, for joining us today and sharing your stories. And um, best of luck with the rest of the conference. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Susan. You've been listening to the ISC podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate, subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. You can get more information about the ISC at www.theinsurancesupperclub.com. Dot com. Our show is produced by Connor Sweetman of Breakthrough Media. I'm Lara Pedley. See you next time.